What in the world is up with the Wars? After a month without a win, we look at where the Warriors are going wrong and if they can turn things around. For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is from Stuff's Christchurch newsroom and is called The Search for the Sydenham Slasher. It's written by senior journalist Blair Ensor, who joins me now. Hi, Blair. Hi, Mike. The Search for the Sydenham Slasher. Who is the Sydenham Slasher? Well, look, we don't know who the Sydenham Slasher is, but it's the name... It's the search. Yeah, yeah, but it's the name that was... uh, given to, you know, whoever killed a guy called Alfred Anderson back in 1982. Uh, it was a name given by the Truth newspaper in uh, in a Stanfirst and its many articles that I kind of trawled through uh, looking for background about the case. So this is a cold case about a murder, Alfred Anderson. Tell us a little bit about it before we get into it. What, what is the what is the cold case? So Alfred Anderson uh, was a, a pensioner, sixty four year old, lived alone in a flat in uh, in Christchurch, um, and he he was a movie lover. And uh, from memory, I think he, he he enjoyed his music as well. And, and one night he went to the movies, came home, was due to go out with the son the next day. The son turned up the next day and found his father lying on the floor. Um, with some pretty horrific injuries and covered by a, a sheet. And for the past four decades, police at various points in time have tried to find out who the Sydney Slasher is, but have never been able to resolve it. So as we'll hear in this story, you interviewed someone in 2020 for this. It's now 2024. You've been on this for a while. Yeah, so um, I guess over the last five, six, seven years, I've looked at a number of cold cases in and around the Christchurch area. Uh, John Reynolds, who was a scrap metal dealer, killed in 1996. Angela Blackmore, uh, killed in 1995. That case has now been solved. Uh, and also Kirsty Bentley, as um, I'm sure everyone knows. So uh, like kind of a natural progression, Alfred Anderson's a cold case here in Christchurch uh, hasn't really had a huge amount of media attention in recent times. And so I picked it up and as part of research back in 2020, I went and knocked on the door of Neil Anderson's flat. Um, and sorry, Neil Anderson is, is... Is Alfred's son. Right. And um, look, he was pretty reluctant to talk at that time, gave me his number, and then I, I interviewed him over the phone back then. Um, the delay in the story being published after Neil Anderson, well, during that period I was dealing with a very senior detective called Tom Fitzgerald who held the file. He had promised me some information in regards to the case, you know, and there was a delay in that coming. It never really happened. And so I guess late last year, I thought I've got to get something else out on this. Uh, I went back to see Neil Anderson. He wasn't particularly enthused to see me, but uh, he he greenlit, uh, you know, me publishing details of that interview back then. All right, let's hear it. Here is Blair reading his story, the search for the Sydenham Slasher. In Block 19, Plot 331, a nondescript plaque marks the burial site of a man who was brutally murdered. Instead of flowers, weeds have grown through the shingles surrounding the spot Alfred Anderson shares with his wife at Ruru Lawn Cemetery in Christchurch. It doesn't appear anyone has visited in a while. While Anderson's death captured plenty of newspaper headlines in the 1980s, nothing has been written about the cold case in more than a decade. Although police have a possible DNA profile of the 64-year-old's killer, once dubbed the Savage Sydenham Slasher, 
a suspect has died and his family has refused to cooperate. It's been 41 years since the murder, but the memory of finding Anderson's bloody body still haunts his son, Neil. What I saw was enough to scare anybody, he says. That Saturday morning, June 5th, 1982, Neil says he, his wife Lorraine and their four-year-old son had arranged to meet Anderson at his council-owned flat in Hastings Street, Sydney, before heading to Arana Wildlife Park on the outskirts of the city. The trio caught the bus across town and arrived about 11.45am. My father used to see the bus coming and he'd stand outside and when we'd cross the road, the wee one used to run to him, Neil says. But that never happened. He thought it strange that the curtains and blinds at his father's home were drawn. When there was no answer to a knock at the door, he went to a nearby phone box and rang his sister. She didn't know where their father was. Worried, Neil found a way inside the Hastings Street flat through an unlocked ranch slider around the back. He won't talk about what he saw next because it was just so bloody awful, he says. I remember saying to Lorraine to keep our son outside. Lying on the lounge floor was Anderson's body, covered with a duvet. His face, head and throat had been slashed, and he had taken a sustained beating. There was blood splattered on the walls. Anderson was wearing a dressing gown and underwear, and appeared to have recently made himself a cup of Milo. His body was lying beside a sheepskin rug. Alfred Anderson and his family immigrated to New Zealand from England, when he was just seven years old. Mild-mannered, hard-working, and keen on movies, dancing, and country and western music, he married a Kiwi woman and settled down in the suburbs, where they had three children. Anderson worked as a painter for the Railways Corporation, a job which regularly took him out of town. In 1974, Stella, his wife of more than 30 years, died of septicemia as a result of complications from an operation. In retirement, Anderson lived a simple life and was saving for a trip to England to visit his family on June 29. On the face of it, there appeared little reason why anyone would want the pensioner dead. Police who investigated Anderson's killing were shocked at the brutality. The cause of death was blood loss from a severed facial artery, a coroner later ruled, and it may have taken him about 20 minutes to die. Robbery was initially considered the most likely motive for the murder. Anderson's home wasn't ransacked, but his empty wallet was found on his bedroom floor, and his gold wristwatch, bought during a trip to England in 1980, was missing. While it appeared there'd been a violent struggle in the lounge, there was no sign of forced entry to the property. Flat 4, 131 Hastings Street, suggesting the father of three may have known his killer, and let them in. The previous evening, Anderson had visited the Odeon Theatre in Chewham Street, where he watched two adults-only sexploitation movies, Emmanuel in America and The Playbirds. The latter was about an undercover detective investigating the murders of models featured in pornography magazines. After the double feature screening, about 11.35pm, there was a possible sighting of Anderson walking alone through the Christchurch railway station, which would have been a shortcut to his home in a block of flats at the corner of Hastings Street and Waltham Road. Detectives believed Anderson was killed between 11.45pm and 1am. A massive search of the area near his home failed to find the murder weapon, which was likely a knife. 
A strong lead police followed early in the investigation came from a woman who said she'd seen a young man running from Anderson's home towards a two-tone station wagon, thought to have been a Ford Falcon. Detectives were unable to identify the man or the vehicle. They also appealed for sightings of a woman wearing a leopard skin jacket who was seen with Anderson at Northlands Mall the day before his death. Media reports suggest she never came forward. However, photographs in Stuff's archives show Anderson's daughter-in-law, Wynne, wearing a similar jacket at his funeral. For months, the homicide investigation was one of the largest in New Zealand. Hundreds of people were interviewed and police dedicated thousands of hours to trying to find the killer. But as tips dried up and leads went cold, the inquiry was scaled down. In a promising development more than two years after the murder, painters found Anderson's gold watch engraved with his initials lodged in the guttering of a house about 200 metres from his flat. But the discovery took them no further. In 1990, police revealed that held back a major piece of information from the public. In an episode of Crime Watch, they said Anderson was bisexual and was known to frequent places where members of the gay community met, including public toilets, and had paid for sex with female prostitutes. A detective who appeared on the show said it had been difficult to get information from the gay community in 1982 because homosexuality was illegal at the time and people were concerned about incriminating themselves. It was hoped changes in public perception and its legislation would elicit new information, the detective said. In the initial phases of the investigation, police had visited massage parlours as they looked into the possibility the crime was sexually motivated. But the new information didn't provide the breakthrough detectives had hoped for, and the trail went cold again. Since then, the investigation has been reviewed at least twice. The latter was conducted in 2008 and 2009 by Tom Fitzgerald, who rose through the ranks to become the country's most senior investigator before he retired in 2022, amid criticism of an interviewing technique he'd developed called the Complex Investigation Phased Engagement Model. In 2012, Fitzgerald, then a detective inspector, revealed evidence showed the killer had washed themselves before leaving Anderson's home. He said the covering of Anderson's body with a duvet could indicate the person responsible had a certain respect for the victim, slight remorse, and a desire to avoid witnessing what they'd done. Exhibits from the house had recently been re-examined, and they'd yielded a positive DNA profile, Fitzgerald said. However, there were no matches with any held in the police database. Fitzgerald said a person of interest in the case had died, but efforts to obtain familial DNA from parents, children or full siblings had been unsuccessful. There has been no cooperation for that, he said. Fitzgerald held the file until he retired. Prior to that, he'd talked of releasing new information about the case to stuff, including a possible link to a sex attack, but that never eventuated. Today on Newsable, are the Waz in trouble? What the Warriors need to do to get back on track after a month without any wins. Plus, the story of the Canterbury cocaine cartel and introducing the most boring man in the world. Could he be the cure to sleeplessness? For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Solving decades-old cold cases is not unheard of in New Zealand. In December, the family of pregnant mother Angela Blackmore, 21, who was stabbed and beaten in her Christchurch home in 1995, 
got the justice they craved when David Hawken and Rebecca Wright Meldrum were found guilty by a jury in the High Court at Christchurch. The breakthrough in the case came in 2019, when a reward of up to $100,000 elicited a tip from a secret informant, which led them to Wright Meldrum and her former boyfriend, Jeremy Powell. When Powell was interviewed, he confessed, saying Hawken, a debt collector, had offered him and Wright Meldrum $10,000 to kill Blackmore. Beyond informant information, advances in technology may be the best way to identify Anderson's killer. Police are trialling a controversial new DNA tool in an effort to solve two cold cases, the 2008 murder of Christchurch prostitute Mallory Manning and the 1980 murder of Auckland schoolgirl Alicia O'Reilly. Forensic investigative genetic genealogy, also known as FIG, allows detectives to compare DNA of unidentified suspects with genetic profiles uploaded to genealogy websites. The technology, which has been allowed to catch killers overseas, including the infamous Golden State Killer, may allow police to sidestep the uncooperative family of the suspect in Anderson's death to see if that person is indeed the murderer. However, Privacy Commissioner Michael Webster believes the use of FIG raises a number of ethical and privacy issues and shouldn't be used beyond the trial until appropriate legislative safeguards are in place, according to a letter released to Stuff under the Official Information Act. In December, Canterbury Police District's crime manager, Detective Inspector Greg Merton, said the homicide investigation into Anderson's death remained open. However, at this time, there are no clear lines of inquiry and nothing new evidentially to share. The investigation file would be considered for detailed review in 2024, Merton said. Fig could be used to try and solve the murder, but at this stage, there are no immediate plans to do so. Police would welcome any new information regarding this case. While Mr Anderson was killed more than 40 years ago, police remain committed to providing answers for his family, if we can possibly do so, Merton said. The four decades since Anderson's death have taken a tremendous toll on his son Neil, who has lost contact with his siblings and lives alone in a social housing block near central Christchurch. The passage of time has also claimed the lives of several people central to the homicide investigation, including two of the lead detectives, Bob McMeeking and Bob Meekle, and Lorraine, who split from Neil after the murder. All three died in 2023. In 2020, in a previously unreported interview, Neil told Stuff he believed it was too late to solve his father's murder, and he was trying to put the case behind him. I just don't want to bring it all up again, he said. It was a bloody awful experience. Over the years, he'd felt like he was being treated as a suspect by police and had been asked on several occasions, did you do it? I'm sick and tired of it, he said. Fitzgerald was the most recent detective to front him with the question during an interview at a police station. They took a swab and stuff for DNA, Neil said, and I've heard nothing back, so what's that telling you? Neil emphatically denied any involvement in the murder, which had scarred him for life. The day that it happened, the bloody detective took us down to the morgue after they cleaned him up a bit, and that was frightening enough. I just tried to wipe it out of my mind. Three years later, when Stuff approached Neil at his home again, he came to the door with the aid of a crutch. He said he was mourning the loss of Lorraine, his best friend, and was in no mood for talking. If it's about my father, the answer is no. I've had enough of it.
That was The Search for the Sydney Slasher on The Long Read from Stuff. Written and read by Blair Ensor and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support.